International Orienteering Podcast Mapping Compass Navigation Skill Orienteering Competition International Orienteering Podcast It is really nice as always to welcome you again to International Orienteering Podcast uh, and uh, no uh, the long and dark January month is uh, soon over and we Actually, can uh, look forward to some world ranking events coming up uh, in uh, the upcoming weekend. Uh, but uh, first, we have to deal with some other things in this episode. We will come back to the world ranking event. Uh, uh, how are you, you doing, Ivo? Yeah, I'm doing fine. I feel the motivation spring now that the this the the all races are coming closer and uh, yeah i mean the days are getting closer day by day so yeah life is good sounds sounds good uh, and um, we uh, we can uh, start with some um, quick updates uh, from the competition rules that iof uh, had uh, sent out uh, last week uh, uh, are they good or bad I think it was not uh, anything controversial. I mean, now they published uh, special rules for the World Cup. Uh, some changes from small changes from previous years, but uh, in general, it's uh, most things are as it has been. Uh, so I think the, yeah, there are a few things that are workable to talk about. Uh, for example, with starting intervals uh, in the World Cup races this season, uh, it's good to see that for the long distance races, they have decided that it will be three minutes between the last 30 competitors and two minutes for the, the others. Uh, I think it's good because three minutes is a lot better than two minutes given the risk of big trains. Uh, even with three minutes, we see a lot of runners benefiting from running together, uh, but it would be a lot worse if it was two minutes. Yeah, definitely, definitely. It's really good uh, uh, when we uh, can have, uh, that's good for the competition. And then make it uh, better for, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's more fair. And then, of course, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, for the World Cup races with 100 participants, it's not that fun to have three minutes uh, between every starter. Because then when you have only for the last 30 runners, you save more than one hour in the starting field. Uh, So I think it's good to have two minutes for the first runners and then three minutes for the ones that are actually fighting for the top spots because yeah i mean it makes maybe easier to get some trains for the first starters but in general those runners are not competing for the top spots and also in the beginning of the start field the difference between the runners are also bigger Uh, so yeah i think it's been it's been been like this in a few competitions over the last years and i think it works fine yeah, and uh, is there some other changes uh, among starting intervals? Uh... Yeah, I noticed for uh, some interesting regarding the sprint races because it says that for this, the World Cup sprint in Czech Republic in August, uh, it will be 90 seconds between the top 40 runners. And I assume that the main reason for this is to have better time to make TV production uh, because we know that the sprint race with one minute starting to all it it very often lead to stressful and chaotic TV production. And so it's good to see that the World Cup in Czech Republic will have 90 seconds for the sprint. Uh, and it's uh, equally a bit sad to see that for European champs, it will still be only one minute. Uh, so 
Yeah. If I'm to predict something, I expect that the TV broadcast from the sprinted check will be better and easier to follow for the for the spectators. Yeah, the the big name in the TV production from uh, orienteering are uh, he's uh, Czech, so it, uh, then uh, probably he has uh, been into that uh, decision to make it one and a half minute. Yeah, and it's a bit strange as well because for the World Cup in Czech, uh, uh, I think it's uh, I don't think it's a qualification for that sprint race. I think it's going to be a sprint with a big big start field, and they yet find time for it. While for European champs, there is a qualification. So you should think that uh, it would be space in the program to have to have 90 seconds between the runners. Uh, yeah, but um, we also see in some other uh, cases, like in uh, uh, the punching system, uh, IOF is not uh, consequent there. Uh, you have uh, SI sometimes and AMIT sometimes. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, it's a lot of things with these, like, you know, sometimes you have different tracker, tracking services, and yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm I'm not sure if, uh, it would be easier if you could say that it's like one system every time, uh, but I mean, it's a big com- big competition between Emit and Sportident, for example, there's big competition between the GPS tracking services, so yeah. Yeah, competition is good, but uh, yeah, maybe uh, you can uh, buy or sell uh, the product for one season. I don't know. Uh, but then I also think that for the runners, I mean, they are used to running. Yeah, sometimes they run with Emmet, uh, sometimes they run with Sportdent. For the competitors, competitors, it's not an issue at all. Uh, but I mean, I know that most people they prefer the. SI air system over the AMIT system because with the AMIT touch free system you need to run with two tags because the tags are a bit unstable. Uh, so I think if the runners could decide, I think most of them would vote for uh, Sport Ident. Yeah, but uh, uh, the decision is uh, at the board of uh, IOF. So yeah, of course. Still. Uh, was there something else to note in the rules? Uh... Well, as always, uh, the quotas, like how many runners you can get, it's based on national quotas that is based on the the ranking, uh, the nation league ranking. Uh, so the top six federations in both men and women's class, they get eight, eight runners for each World Cup round. The nations rank from seven to 14, they get six, and the rest, they get four spots. And then, of course, also the host nation will get eight runners. Uh, and next year, the the World Cup races are organized in Norway, Czech Republic, and uh, Italy, European champs. So, of course, Norway and Czech Republic would be within the top six nation anyway. So they get eight. So for them, it's not a big difference. But uh, for a smaller nation like Italy, it's a huge, huge boost to be able to field eight runners uh, at home, home, home races. Yeah, that, that's good uh, that you have uh, some advantage uh, in uh, home soil when you have uh, hosting a World Cup. Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't think it's a real initiative. Uh, I really think that the organizers are thinking about, but uh, I mean, for the younger runners from that nation that are maybe outside the World Champs team, and they don't get to run the normal World Cups when the nation only have six places or maybe four places. Uh, so for them, it's a big deal to get the chance to run at top level.
uh, of course uh, in uh, yeah, we see also in other sports they have uh, like uh, national quotas uh, when they have uh, World Cup uh, at uh, home ground uh, where they have uh, where they are allowed to uh, have uh, like five or ten extra runners in the beginning of the start field. Yeah, so uh, the six nations that will get the top spots, uh, I mean, it's no surprise that Sweden, Switzerland, Finland and Norway are in both genders uh, in the top six. So they get eight spots uh, for each World Cup race. Uh, and Czech Republic are sixth in both the women and men rankings. They also get eight. Uh, and for the men, it's France that is the last nation that gets six, eight spots, uh, while for the women, it's Denmark. Uh, so I think the, so these nations they will get eight spots, uh, and then it's no really surprises further down. But uh, it was exciting to see uh, that the the ranking for the men was really really close, just behind Czech Republic, both Denmark, Austria, and Great Britain were within, yeah, very close to getting that last top six spot, um, but not this year. So uh, they have uh, something to fight for there. Uh in uh, the this coming season yeah of course i mean i think it makes quite a big difference if you can have six runners or if you can have eight uh, especially also you know often on the world cup rounds you have some runners that are not running all the races uh, so if you have eight spots you can maybe pick three more runners for a world cup round than if you have six spots for example uh, so, I mean, that should be, and we know that for these nation ranking, it's the top 10 runners from each nation that count. So even if you're just outside the World Cup team, uh, it's very important to run world ranking events to try to improve your score and therefore, there, and by that, improve the nation score and hopefully get more chances next year. Of course. Uh, and uh, we also have, um, yeah, some interesting uh... Names, uh, yeah, uh, falling uh, out or names, nations, yeah, spots. Uh, I was a bit surprised to see that Estonia, for example, is outside the, the top 14, uh, both for men and women. Uh, in the women's class, I mean, they were they were sixth in European champs relay. Uh, they had a medal individually with Evely Kasiku. So they have some good runners, but they are falling short on the depth. And yeah, when they're outside the top 14, they only get four spots for the World Cup races. Uh, and then it's also worth noting that Russia is now out of the top 14 for both men and women. So when they eventually return someday in the future, they need to start from the bottom. And that's, uh, that's interesting. And uh, we also um, can note that... Uh... Yeah, uh, we are recording on a Monday. Uh, today, uh, the Norwegian runner, uh, Lukas Liland, had an, uh, yeah, what do you call it? An uh, commentary, yeah? Yeah, yeah comment. Um, comment on, on this uh, sports politics blog in Norway. Yeah, about uh, Russian athletes uh, taking part in the Olympics. Yeah, because that was the story from last week that the uh, IOC is considering letting Russian and Belarusian athletes take part in the in the upcoming Olympics in Paris in one and a half year time. Uh, and I mean, it's eventually the question will come back: like when when are we letting Russia and Belarus take part in orienteering as well as in other sports uh, internationally? 
so yeah, Lucas yeah, they comment about the yeah, based on this thing that the IOC is the International Olympic Committee is looking to uh, welcome Russian Belarusian back and yeah. Uh, I mean it's what should I say? It's a delicate uh, delicate question. Uh, and yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's an uh, yeah delicate issue, and uh, uh, all creds to Lucas that he is uh, uh, going out with his uh, uh, with this uh, comment uh, on the, that blog. But uh, when you're uh, putting your head out, uh, you have to also uh, battle for your uh, opinions. So that it can take a lot of time for him to yeah stand up for his opinion, maybe. Yeah, I mean, I don't think he is in his comments. He didn't. Uh, I don't think he put his head that much forward. Uh, it was more of a yeah picture of the situation and not so much strong opinions. Uh, and I mean, I don't think we should put strong opinions, but uh, because ah, it's it's a difficult case because you have there are valid valid reasons to not want Russian and Belarusian athletes uh, in, in international sport because of the war with Ukraine. Uh, but if you're looking at the individual stories, uh, I mean, there are Russian runners, there are Belarusian runners, especially that, I mean, they're clearly against it uh, and they have nothing to do with it. Uh, and they are kind of, yeah, I mean, they are victims for their nation, but I mean, uh, so individually it looks wrong. I mean, especially like if you look at the case with uh, uh, the Belarusian runner Andrei Salin, for example, uh, that last year he was protesting against the war uh, and he got uh, thrown in prison and he was uh, tortured and stuff like that. I think he was in prison for two weeks before he got out and escaped to Sweden. And I mean, to have runners like him being banned from international events because he's Belarusian, it feels a bit wrong in on the individual level. But uh, when you're looking at the bigger picture, I mean, runners from these nations, if they do good, they can be used uh, propaganda-wise and stuff like that. Uh, but yeah, it's a delicate issue. And uh, Russia has always used uh, sports as uh, propaganda. Uh, yeah, and I mean, I'm not going to be I'm I'm in no position to be judge and jury and stuff like that. And I mean, I know that there are Russian orienteers that are strongly against the war and would like to take part in World Champs and World Cup and stuff like that. And individually, it's nothing wrong with them. Uh, but then on the other side, there is also Russian orienteers that I'm very, very gl glad that are not allowed to run internationally uh, because of, yeah, I mean, they have shown strong sympathy with the war. Uh, and supported the Russian military and stuff like that. And yeah, I mean, there was some case on social media uh, with uh, Dmitry Tvetko, for example, the former European champs. He was taking part in some propaganda stuff early during the war. Uh, I've seen pictures of Andrei Kramov and Valentin Novikov posting with the with the set that they are as a Russian symbol for for the military. Uh, so. Luckily, yeah. these guys are already old, and they would probably not be in the team anyway. But I'm glad they are not. I'm glad I don't have to see these people run internationally. 
Yeah, we can uh, continue with uh, those who are allowed uh, next season and uh, get some uh, personal spots for uh, the World Cup races. Yeah, of course. So on top of the national quota, there are some personal spots. And here I think it's been some changes, uh, perhaps, compared to previous years. so the basic stuff is that the overall World Cup winner from 2022, they have a personal spot for all the World Cup races next season. So that means Tove and Kasper, they are allowed to run every race. And then as always, like the reigning individual world champion will be offered a personal wildcard in the competitions in the same format as they won the world title. So for example, Megan Carter Davis, she will get a personal spot for all the normal sprint races, but she doesn't get a personal spot for knockout sprint, middle distance, or long distance. And the same for Matthias Kibos, for example. Uh, he's yeah, he's reigning champion in both middle and knockout sprint, so he gets a personal spot there in the World Cup races in these events, but not in the long and not in the sprint. Uh, so that can make a bit uh, it's it's a bit complex. I, I think it was before that the world champion got a spot in every race, but I'm not quite sure. Yeah, also uh, I follow you on that one. That it was uh, like they got a spot in every race. Yeah, yeah, and then also for the European champs, so like the uh, yeah the sprint winner from last European champs, he gets a spot in the sprint only, not in the knockout sprint. Um, but yeah, I mean that means uh, for example. Yeah, Sweden, they get a lot of extra spots because Tove has won. Uh, and when it comes to European champs, Emil Svensk won. Um, Matthias Kubus has a lot of free spots. Uh, Kasper Foss has a lot of free spots. Uh, but I mean, in, in general, it's not that uh, it's not that many, uh, not that many personal spots overall. But I mean, for the big nations, they get one more runner for most races. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and about runners, so there was uh, two runners showing good, uh, good uh, shape uh, this week in uh, indoor racing in uh, Sweden uh, on a three thousand meters. Yeah, so I mean the three thousand meter, uh, it's a good event for sprint orienteers, and here we had two of the best sprint orienteers in the world, or I would say one of the absolute best sprint orienteers, and then one of the best knockout sprint orienteers. Uh, so Tim Robertson, he was very, very close to finally break the eight-minute bar. Uh, so he ran it between uh, the 2008 uh, But a few seconds faster was Jonathan Gustafsson, uh, the young Swede that took a medal in the knockout sprint in Denmark last summer. Uh, and he recorded 7.58.9. And that's one of the best 3,000-meter times ever of an orienteer. Yeah, of course, uh, to to say that we have to go back in the books, uh, but we also know that uh, Samuel Pilsom, he is uh, on the right side of the eight-minute uh, mark uh, with the 7.59 from uh, two years ago, outdoor uh, in Norway at that time. But, yeah, and uh, we know that Samuel, he will, he will focus on the athletics in the future, so I expect him to run faster times than that uh, in the coming years but uh, as he has now changed his main focus from from sprint orienteering to to athletics track running i i wouldn't count his maybe his times in the future but 759 into 2021 that was when he was still aiming equally as much for orienteering 
Yeah, but uh, I mean, uh, those who are better than Jonathan Gustafsson, we will, on all those runners, we will have the discussion if there are uh, uh, athlete runners or orienteering runners, I think. Yeah, uh, of course. We know that uh, Jan Fjärsta, he has uh, 7.57, and uh, there was this uh, German guy uh, from uh, 20 years ago. Yeah, so Alexander Lubina, uh was a, a, a very good track runner, uh, but also a decent orienteer, especially in the sprint races. And he has recorded 7.54 in 3,000 meter uh, back in 2002. Uh, and the same year he was running the European champs, the year after he was running the, the world championship in Switzerland. Uh, so he was definitely an orienteer, but even if his main focus back in those days were, were uh, athletics park. Yeah, but uh, yeah, Fjärsta, he he um, he was a really good runner. He got the individual uh, medal, uh, same as Kasper Fossa, a silver medal as a junior in the world champs uh, in orienteering. Uh, but he was running in uh, yeah, the world champs in 1974, 1974, 76 and 78. So it's uh, quite uh, quite a time ago. Yeah, I there's a lot of orienteers that have been just about eight minutes. Uh, I mean, Chris Jones has a time of 8.03. Uh, Kasper Fosse was not that far from breaking the eight minutes barrier a few years ago. Uh, and I'm sure that there's plenty of orienteers from the old days that had, yeah, times very low on eight or even below eight minutes too. Yeah, I think so. Uh, but we also have noticed uh, that uh, Megan Carter Davis uh, is uh, up on our toes and. Uh, doing good in uh, athletics yeah so in the weekend she won the welsh indoor championship uh, at 1500 meter with the time of 428 uh, and that time is two seconds faster than what she did at the fire 1500 meter back in august so to me it seems like her winter training is going really well yeah that's uh, that's an uh... That's a dangerous name to note, uh, even though we uh, get to know her really good last year. Uh, she's also yeah, heading towards this season with a good shape. Um, but um, this podcast, uh, as always, we are talking about the successful athletes. Um, but uh, we also have to mention some uh, a bit older uh, good runners. Uh, Today, uh, we'll turn uh, away from the successful 2022 uh, season. We had to talk to the veteran, Magne Dali from Norway. Uh, Magne Dali, what will you tell about him? Well, yeah, for those who don't know a lot about him, I mean, he's most famous for yeah, being a part of the Norwegian men's team that won three world champs relay in a row where he was running the last leg. Uh, he has individual medals at both European Champs and World Championship. Uh, been around the top scene for a long time. He had his big bre- breakthrough as an elite runner back in 2012 when he had a really good result at the World Championship in Switzerland. Um, and after that, he's been belonging to the top, top, top of the world. Uh, but uh, yeah, 2022 was a, was a rough season for him. Um. We have to mention uh, that uh, this interview was uh, recorded in November, but uh, uh, I think Mada Magna stands for the word he told us then. Take a listen. 
We are uh, sitting here with uh, Magne Dali, the medalist from uh, long distance last year in the Czech Republic. Uh, uh, how will you evaluate this season, Magne? Uh, I guess uh, shit is a good word uh, for uh, my performances this uh, season. Um, yeah, basically uh, ev- everything, maybe except uh, uh, Aok relay, uh, was uh, really bad. You are really critical. We know that you won a medal in the long distance champs in Norway and. Uh, also uh, have a good uh, relay in uh, Norwegian champs, but uh, you're not satisfied. Uh, uh, What will you do to be a better version of yourself uh, next season? Well, uh, uh, the 2022 season, um, yeah, for for the whole season, the the problem was that I I struggled with some uh, some injuries that um, uh, that um, affected uh, my shape but also generally uh, my my shape uh, has been has been has been quite bad uh for the whole season and yeah uh, i never managed to um to have the quality in the training uh, that i wanted and uh, that affected uh, the shape for the whole season so and I think maybe one of the, one of the biggest reasons was that um, uh, I didn't really manage to um, to handle the the new life situation uh, uh, that I've been in after after getting a child uh, in the autumn in 2021. Um, it has been good uh, from yeah like uh, it has been a good um yeah it, it has been a good thing to to get a child but uh i haven't really managed to um to keep up uh at, to having the same the same good structure and quality in my training as i had before um uh, because uh, I haven't really managed to to handle the extra stress and um, getting a child uh, yeah, what follows and so um, so I hope not not know that uh, that I that I have some experience from the last season uh, how how it uh, affected me and that I can uh, that I can manage to to get back to to the same uh, yeah to the same quality and have the same good structure that, uh, that I had uh, before so um, so I'm trying to do some uh, some changes in 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 how I build up my training and hope yeah hoping that uh, that will work so that I can be in better shape uh, for the next season. Uh, we are <coughs> we who are <coughs> a bit older know that you um, had your breakthrough in uh, world champs in Switzerland in 2012 uh, with a, a number 6 in the middle and a 
Madeline the Relay. Uh, what's your goal for the World Champs in Switzerland the coming season? Um, the goal is to to take a medal in the long distance. Um, um, and yeah, also also I have uh, also I hope to be I also hope to perform really well uh, at the World Cup in Östfold. Um, you want to, you want an answer early in the spring in Östfold to get a yeah to get an even peak in uh, the World Champs. Yes, uh, after this, after a season with a lot of problems, I uh, I feel it it would be really good for my self confidence to see in April that uh, that I am at the level I want to be, uh, and then and then work more with the uh, specific uh, preparation uh, for Switzerland, especially yeah, especially the long distance. There is uh, is my big goal for the season uh, together with the relay. And we know that you are uh, looking, um, yeah, your career are looking towards uh, Finland in 2025. Is that correct or? Uh, we'll, uh, like, uh, now I take only one year uh, at a time. So uh, at the moment I only only focus on uh, 2023 and then we will see. And uh, how many... Walk medals do you need in a bag home from Switzerland to be satisfied with the uh, 2023? Uh, well, um, to be to be really satisfied, I need uh, two medals. You got uh, one medal in 2012, and, and then we will see if uh, you can fulfill your dreams in Switzerland 2023. Thank you, Magna. Yeah, thank you. Yes, uh, that was uh, Magne Dali. Uh, which bullet points do you get out of that uh, talk? Yeah, I mean, he was very fair that, uh, you know, uh, and harsh with himself, I would say, a bit, saying that the 2022 season was shit. Because, I mean, yeah, it was mostly disappointing results, but I still think that there were some small glimpses of hope that should uh, that should make him believe that he can still compete at the top level, which it seems like he he still believes. Uh, I mean, all the bigger all the bigger international events went pretty bad, uh, except of the as you mentioned the European Champs relay where he did run a, a solid first leg, and also at the World Cup final in Davos he did a pretty good first leg there. Uh, so even if the individual races went from a bit bad to to really really bad. For example, at the, the the last World Cup race, the long distance, uh, where I was actually expecting him to fight for a, a top three. I mean, he finished in seventh, 70th place, uh, a long, long way down. Uh, so it's not been an easy season for him. But uh, I mean, there were, were some some decent performances. Like you mentioned, he got a medal in the Norwegian champs long distance, uh, where he actually was. Yeah, I mean, maybe he was the the strongest runner there, but uh, he made a really, really bad route choice uh, where he lost two minutes and got caught by Lucas Leland that eventually won the race. Uh, I remember both of them, they were running together and they passed me uh, during that last part of the race. And when I saw them, uh, Magne was in front and he was like 10 meters ahead of Lucas and 
it it felt a bit like the old Magnadelli there. I mean, he looked really, really strong, and I could see Lucas was suffering a lot to keep up with him. Uh, but yeah, unfortunately, he couldn't build on that to perform well at the World Cup final, which I guess was a disappointment for him too. But uh, for me, uh, runners who uh, uh, perform good in relays, but not so good in individual races, uh, for me that's uh, kind of a sign they're uh, lacking a a bit of self-confidence. Because when you're running a relay, you get feedback um, on the other runners that your uh, speed is good enough, that you're performing good enough. But when you're uh, doing individual, you have to do it all by yourself. So I, I think the skill is there, but uh, he needs to get, uh, yeah, believe in himself, uh, maybe, if you know what yeah. I mean. Yeah, I mean, that's a very good point. But it's also, I mean, if you if you are lacking a little bit of the physical form, uh, an old and experienced runner like Magne, he can compensate with that, with the uh, smarter interiorin. In a, in a relay where he can use the others a bit, uh, so I think that even when he if he's like at ninety percent of his physical speed, uh, he can still do a very good first leg just because he is I mean experienced and he knows what to do and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, as you said, uh, the the confidence uh, could be a bit short. I mean, he is normally performing quite well, and this season is the first time in a long, long, in many many years where he hasn't been competing at the absolute highest level and I mean it's natural to start asking questions by that uh, he is uh, a veteran as we mentioned 36 years yeah. old uh, this season uh, uh, will we see him uh, in top uh, of the result list uh, in uh, World Cup races uh, and so on yeah I mean yeah I mean he's getting 36 so you would think that ah this bad season in 2022 will only be uh, a signal of what will come but I mean we don't have to jump further back than last season in 2021 where he, he was suffering a bit with injury in the spring uh, then he got a medal at the long distance world championship which yeah what should you say about that that's also a delicate issue uh, <laughs> well, it, was, it was a train <laughs> at least so yeah, yeah so he probably didn't deserve that medal um, but then, of course, there have been times in the past where maybe he should have gotten a medal when other runners got a medal instead by running together with the top runners. So, yeah, what goes around comes around in a way. But if we, if you are to look at what he can do, uh, it's in, in Idre 2021 in the autumn at the World Cup there. He was number two, uh, number two in the long distance, running all along in that race. So it's not more, it's, yeah, so it's one and a half year ago since he was very, very close to being the best in the world uh, on on a given day. So I think that the, with the home World Cup next year or this season in Halden, Östfold area in April, I think that's a really good chance for him to, yeah, I mean to show that he can still compete with Casper uh, Fosse and with the with the best. And as you mentioned, he made his. Uh... Uh, debut in the World uh, Championship in uh, Switzerland, 2012. And then he was number seven in the middle distance uh, and uh, silver in the relay. Uh, so he gets a new new chance there. And uh, as he mentioned, the, the it's medal he's running for when it comes to the World, uh, world Champs. 
Yeah, and he mentioned like the long distance as his big target. Uh, and yeah, I mean, he has been performing decent in similar terrain before, uh, like European champs in 2018 when it was in also in Switzerland. He was number nine. Uh, the year before, he was number three in a World Cup long distance that was up in the up in the mountains. So I mean, he's he can do well in this terrain even if the World Cup final last season was a disappointment. Yeah, definitely. Um, and uh, But his uh, last goal is the World Champs in Finland uh, 2025. Do you think he will uh, continue so far? Yeah, I mean, he said that he now he's at this stage of his career where he's taking one year at a time. Uh, but I think seeing Daniel Hubman performing at top, top level at the World Cup in the at the age of 39 must be inspiring for a guy like Magne. Uh, I feel that he has been talking about Finland 2025 for for many, many years. And I think the Finnish terrain suits him really well. Uh, he has been winning World Cup races in Finland before. Um, and I think that's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's possible. It's very hard to be able to be competitive at the top level at the age of 38 but if the motivation is there and if he can sort out the, the life balance and avoid bigger injury problems it's it should be possible uh, we can continue with uh, what's coming up uh, a sneak peek uh, of the world ranking events uh, coming up uh, uh, this weekend uh, Magne Dali he will not take part there when do you think uh, he will take part for the first time, yeah, I've seen that he is going to. He's entered to the for the Halden training camp uh, in the end of February, I think it is, when they go to Spain and they will take part in uh, the Costa Calida World Ranking events. So I guess we will in a month's time we will see him on the result list. So then it's yeah, I mean it's a good chance to see if the winter has been winter training has been going well and what kind of status his form is in uh, a few months before the. The home World Cup. Yeah, interesting. But uh, uh, this uh, this weekend it's uh, Valenciana uh, who has the first world ranking events. Yeah, so it's uh, I think that's the southeast coast of Spain, east coast, southeast coast, something somewhere there. Uh, and it's a uh, on Saturday it's a midland sprint, and then on Sunday it's a uh, long distance all races world ranking events. Uh, I have to correct myself. Uh, the first uh, world ranking event—that's uh, 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 not correct. It was uh, the first in Europe. Yes, uh, we had the Oceanian Championship, and maybe there has been some other races yeah. around. And uh, we have some uh, famous names, uh, some uh, good uh, at start uh, list, uh, as far as I can see. Yeah, I mean Caroline Olsson is there, and she should probably be the big favorite. Uh, she was at Tenerife some weeks ago, and it seemed from the results there that she is uh, in pretty good form. Uh, and the same with the Finnish girl Anna Hataja. She looked to be, yeah, I mean, she looked uh, she looked good at the fast sessions the Finnish team did in Tenerife. Uh, and then there are some other girls. I mean, you have Katrin Miller that won the World University Championship last autumn. Uh, and you have some young Swedish girls that is very interesting. Frida Wikström, Tilda Backlund, and uh, Hilda Holmqvist, Johansson, for example, which had a good 
jaywalk not many weeks ago. Yeah, it's uh, it's quite uh, quite interesting, uh, and uh, there are also some interesting names in the men's class. Yeah, um, we perhaps uh, runners with a bit less international results to show for, but I mean there is uh, uh, a lot of good runners here. Uh, so the Telenikvarn is there with a big group of runners, so they have most of their Timila team, uh, where the best runners are probably the Polish runner Michal Olenik or the two Swedish guys, Johan Ek Larsson and Philip Gran. Uh, Jala, the, uh, another Stockholm club, is there with some good runners, especially Jens Jönnholz and, uh, and the Swiss Noah Spinden. Uh, Noah, I think he was running World Championship for Switzerland back in 2021 in Czech Republic. I think he was running the middle distance there. So he's a good runner. Uh, but he's been struggling. He, in the autumn, he had COVID and... He said that his uh, immune system has not been up top since that, and he's had several periods with sickness and health issues. So um, it will be interesting to see what form he is in now. Uh, and then, of course, there are other strong runners like the Finnish guy, Arto Sirelainen, Erik Herne from UK Ravinen, the Swiss Timo Sutter, and also Norwegian Cornelius Björk, uh, the first-year elite runner that had a decent, but I think for him, a bit disappointing junior world championship last year. Yeah, it was not uh, uh, really satisfied with the results there, I think. Uh, yeah, as you said, a decent uh, long distance uh, uh, at the end uh, was uh, quite good to get into the senior class with. Yeah, and then it's also some. There's a group of decent Italian runners, for example, with the former uh, Jaywalk champion Francesco Mariani as probably the strongest. It will be interesting to see uh, if he can step up this year uh, with the home home European champs in October. Uh, I think the motivation for the young Italian guys they should have really high motivation now. Yeah, they have a good uh, good uh, group of guys there uh, who has. Uh... Uh, is uh, fighting against each other, or uh, yeah, to get uh, to the Europeans and uh, yeah, to uh, develop as uh, orienteering runners. Uh, yeah, and also you know the World Championship in Switzerland. It's in the Alps. Uh, it should be terrain that suits the Italian runners too. So yeah, definitely all looking good for them. Uh, we will be back with uh, the results from uh, these races uh, in next episode. Uh, so. Uh, then we will see how good it suits the, both the Italian or the other runners uh, in this uh, weekend. Um, uh, do we have any hot or not uh, today, this week? Um, I, I mean, not really, but uh, we should do the orienteer of the month um, yeah, for January. And I think we should give it to Lissy Ingham for winning the three individual races at the... At the at the Oceanian Championship a few weeks ago. Uh, she was winning all races in dominant fashion, and hopefully we will see her in the international events in Europe this year. Yeah, good point. Uh, and then uh, we are ending this episode uh, on a really high note with uh, also uh, uh, Orienteer of the Month. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I'm Raul Ferra, head coach of Harden Ski Club, and I always listen to Ibernational Orienteering Podcast to get the best overviews and analysis 
of the main events in the orienteering season. International orienteering podcast, map and compass, navigation skill, orienteering competition. Running like a motherfucker. International orienteering podcast.